Welcome to the podcast, Canada's Musical Mosaic. I'm Dr. Rhea Beaumont, a pianist, composer, and host of the podcast, where we'll learn more about Canada's musical heritage and the musicians who've helped make Canada one of the most culturally diverse countries in the world. Today, I have the tremendous pleasure of speaking with Order of Canada recipient Marshall Pinkowski, who's the co-founder and co-artistic director of Opera Atelier with Jeanette Lejeunesse Singh. This Toronto company was founded in 1985. It's become a world leader in revitalizing period opera and ballet. In particular, they present works from the Baroque era. Their historically informed productions also feature period instruments through their collaboration with Toffel Music Baroque Orchestra. To tell us more about Opera Atelier's incredible 35-year history, I'd like to welcome Marshall Pinkowski. It's a great pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks so much for being here. I'm delighted to be here, Rhea. Thank you for asking me. Well, tell us about some of Opera Atelier's highlights. I was in France and saw your 2017 production in Versailles, and it was incredible. But it's just one of many moments in your company's history. It's uh, it's all sort of dreamlike, looking back over 35 years. <laughs> to begin with, it seems like it's been a flash. Uh, you know, Jeanette and I, we never had any intention of founding a Baroque opera and ballet company. This is something that has grown organically. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons for Opera Atelier's success. We have slowly gathered a group of people around us who are like-minded, who are inquisitive, and who want to challenge themselves in new ways. But this really began, I mean, Jeanette and I are dancers. And Jeanette is our is our co-artistic director and choreographer and dances with Opera Atelier as well. But we began as dancers and uh, training in classical ballet, but we both had a great love of Baroque music in particular. I can't really say where exactly that originated, but it simply was the case. Someone gave us tickets to a concert that was being given by Tafel Music all those years ago in the little church in the center of the Eaton Center. Danette and I attended and not even knowing we were hearing a period orchestra. I'm not sure if we would have known what a period orchestra was, but we were flabbergasted by the experience. Uh, we were so intrigued by how the orchestra played, the physicality of their playing, the way the people bowed seemed so different, but particularly the fact that there was no conductor. You know, when the orchestra came out and tuned, we were waiting for the conductor com to come out, like any ballet dancer, any opera singer, and then when they all glanced at each other, smiled, took a breath and started playing a large orchestra playing complex music, we knew we were on another planet and we were mesmerized the entire evening. Mesmerized not just by what we were hearing, but what we were seeing. We were watching people make music and uh, there was something incredibly appealing and theatrical about it, theatrical about watching an orchestra play. And uh, over a period of time, we attended more and more. Tafel Music at that time was just beginning to move seriously from, uh, from strictly orchestral music into vocal music as well. And this was a huge surprise for both of us. You see, we both had strong music education, strong theater education. We thought we had a very good idea of what the great masterpieces were. And suddenly we were encountering composers. Now it's hard to imagine now, but 35 years ago to hear of Lully, Charpentier, Mondonville, Monteverdi, 
This simply didn't happen in Toronto. You didn't hear these names unless it was in a Music 101 program, and then it was presented basically as baby music, and then the real stuff started later. And we started hearing what we thought was some of the most ravishing music, some of the most theatrical music, both orchestrally and vocally, that we had ever heard in our lives. And add to that, Rhea, the fact that when we looked in the program, first of all, it was almost always by a composer we had never heard of, but it was frequently music from an opera or a ballet we had never heard of. In fact, frequently the vocal music came from ballets and the dance music came from operas. So our heads were completely turned upside down. And we started to realize our theater education, our music education was so com completely focused on the Romantic period and a little bit before the Classical period. And at any rate, to make a long story short, we became fascinated with the dances that we were hearing. We began to wonder, well, what were these dances? What is a minuet? What is a cavalte? What is a gigue? We would read in Tafel Music's programs that the minuet was, was the most popular dance in Europe for 200 years. And no one knows what it is. And plus, then we began to wonder, well, if you don't know what it is, then how do you know how to play it? Because, I mean, a waltz, for example, we may not waltz any longer, but everyone knows that a waltz is one, two, three, one, two. You're down on the, you're down on the beat of one. You're stepping up on the next two beats. You can waltz slowly, quickly, but there are parameters after which a waltz falls apart. So what did this mean in terms of how you approach music, how you sing music, and especially how you dance music? We went to New York to the Library of Performing Arts, found out an enormous amount there about mu about dance notation, which Jeanette reads fluently now. Mm -hmm. And eventually it became clear that if we were really serious and wanted to do some study of our own, just out of our own interest, we had to go to Paris, where Louis XIV founded the first mm -hmm. Royal Academy, as you know. Uh, we had always had our friends tell us that if we ever wanted to live in Paris, we should simply audition for one of the big clubs in Paris, the Moulin Rouge, the Folie Bergère, the Lido, or the Crazy Horse. These are big clubs, big shows, extremely well-paying, and you have to be extremely tall. The men have to be over six feet, the women have to be over five foot ten. And so on our way to Switzerland to visit Jeanette's relatives, we arranged for an audition at the Moulin Rouge, and... Uh, we were uh, we were hired at once for their next show, and the lead singer Debbie Decudro, a beautiful six foot two black American, the boys had to be taller than her, and uh, I think there were 40, 40 dancers, and Jeanette was one of the soloists there doing the can can. But the incredible thing is, we were given letters of introduction when we told friends that we knew at the Royal Ontario Museum. We were given letters of introduction so we would be able to get into the archives of some of the theatres, the Bibliothèque Nationale, and do our own research. Mm -hmm. To make a long story short, a year later, we came back with enormous amounts of information about Baroque opera, Baroque dancing, uh, gesture, rhetorical gesture. And we started to experiment with that at the uh, Royal Ontario Museum. Jeanette and me plugging in a recording of Tafel Music wearing some costumes at friends who had just graduated from the National Theatre School made for us, right. telling people that there would be a demonstration of Baroque dancing. And, you know, the audience grew so quickly. We were doing this for free. We were just part of programming and filling up some empty gallery space. Mm -hmm. We were there two times a week, three times a week. Then the fire marshal moved us out and moved us into the lecture hall because there were too many people. 
After a short time in the lecture hall, we brought in Jean Lamont, Peggy Sampson, a few of the people who were sort of founders of early music and of Tafel music in Toronto. We did Bach's Coffee Cantata, a couple of other things there, a Dido and Aeneas, and we were kicked out of the ROM. Too many people attending. We moved to the Art Gallery of Ontario and into Walker Court, where we were able to have candlelight and have up to three, four hundred people. The last evening of our excerpts of Handel's Julius Caesar in Egypt, there was such a huge lineup outside. We let everyone in. We broke all the security regulations. They kicked us out, <laughs> understandably. But we moved then into the Macmillan Theatre at U of T. It just kept growing from there. David Mervish got in touch, phoned and said, I've been attending your productions. You people need a real theatre. I'll put you on my season at the Royal Alex. I don't need to make money. I can't lose money. But if we can break even, I will promote you and you can have several seasons at the Royal Alex. And it was, it was life-changing. We, uh, we, we were growing. Our, our repertoire was growing. We started touring very, very early in the company's history. And now we have the busiest international touring schedule of any theater company in the country. We've been throughout all of Asia, all over Europe, the United States. We had our Salzburg Festival debut, our La Scala debut. But the biggest thrill for us of all, without a question, is Versailles. Mm -hmm. The most beautiful theater in the world. Yeah. It never pales every time we step inside. And we've traveled there with 80 people, like the production of Charpentier's Mayday that you saw. We've been there so many times and it never pales. It's so magical. It's so beautiful to be part of the history of that place. So many highlights, many highlights, many high points, but Versailles, even more than Salzburg Festival, even more than La Scala, Versailles for us remains home. And uh, we hope we'll continue going there for the rest of our lives. Well, the 2017 production in France was actually part of the official Canada 150 or sesquicentennial celebrations. Right. And, and that's yeah. a, it was amazing. What a huge honor. So you must have had quite an adjustment with COVID-19. Oh, my oh. goodness. Uh, no more touring at the moment? No. no. But Albert Tallier is still yes. very active and adapting. I saw your production, Something Rich and Strange, yes. with Misha Berger-Gosman. And as you touched on briefly, it's not only the music that's absolutely outstanding, it's also the visual component, whether it's the costumes or the scenery to the dancers, of course. Oh, thank you. Well, and that costume in particular for, for Misha was absolutely incredible. Incredible. Was it fantastic? <laughs> it was fabulous. But, you know, we're, su we're <laughs> surrounded by, by great people, Rhea. I mean, this is the thing. It is a collaborative effort, and there mm -hmm. are always new people coming in. And so we're not, we're not becoming petrified and doing only one thing. In fact, as you saw, the piece for Misha was new music written for period instruments with new translations to poetry by Rilke. We've been adding to that every year for the past four years. And we also did an excerpt of that in the Royal Chapel at Versailles. And this coming year, we are actually, or this fall, we're going to be completing that. It will be a 90, uh, a 90 minute, what can I call it? Opera, dramatic cantata. That's what we're going to be called Angel. And it will be, uh, music, uh, written by Edwin Huizinga. Great. And, 
Kapo music is playing a fantastic nice. cast of singers and dancers. Marcel Canzona, the young filmmaker that we've been working with lately, an extraordinary young man. And poetry by Rilke that is being uh, translated for us by Grace Andriaki, and also excerpts of Milton's Paradise Lost. So oh. it's this crazy ferment that uh, is a perfect thing to be working on during COVID with all the restrictions that we've had. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, our production of Handles the Resurrection, which is coming up on the 27th. Right. Exactly. This is a real thrill for us. It was supposed to happen a year ago at Easter. We were two weeks into rehearsal when the rehearsal was shut down. I was literally rehearsing and was called to the phone by stage management and our executive committee from the board said, you have to shut down. You have to shut down at once. Send everyone home. Leave the studio. Everything stops. It was the biggest shock of our lives. We didn't realize it was coming. We had been somewhat out of it. Jeanette and I had been out of the country. We didn't realize that all of this was imminent. And I literally had to step out. And Carla Hutanen was, was rehearsing The Angel. And I said, Carla, you have to go home. I'm sorry. Stage management, you have to go home. We're locking the doors. We're not allowed to stay in the Elgin and we'll let you know what happens. I thought it would be a few weeks. And now a year later, Resurrection has turned into our first movie and working under actor contracts. We moved into the ballroom of St. Lawrence Hall. It's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. I, mm -hmm. yeah. I regret, I regret what a difficult process it has been but i do not regret the fact that this has happened it's opened new doors for us that will never close again and maybe there's a certain irony as well that it is the resurrection <laughs> isn't it yes what could be more perfect at this time just as the world starts to open up again mm -hmm. and you know we actually mentioned in the credits at the beginning of resurrection when when handel premiered resurrection he had wanted to write an opera it was Lent in Rome, 1781. All the theaters closed. He was forced to move into the ballroom of the uh, uh, one of the great palazzos, Busbuli Palazzo, I believe. We find ourselves in exactly the same position. The theaters are closed. We are forced to move into a ballroom of St. Lawrence Hall. And it turns out it's been the most thrilling, thrilling experience. We're surrounded by so many of our favorite singers, our favorite dancers, and pre-recording in Kerner Hall, and then staging in St. Lawrence, over oh, the ballroom of St. Lawrence Hall. And uh, again, creative solutions that we would never have dreamed of right. otherwise. So again, I can't regret it. Uh, I look forward to doing Resurrection live in the theater sometime in the near future. But in the meantime, this has been fantastic. It's quite a journey. I was going to ask you, since the podcast is called Canada's Musical Mosaic, would you say that being a Canadian artist or being co-director and co-founder of a Canadian company such as Opera Atelier has impacted your career or your outlook? What are your thoughts on that? I think being, I think being Canadian has impacted our careers just in that... Uh, Maybe, I'm not sure if I should say Canadian or simply North American. I don't sound terribly patriotic saying that. But the fact is, uh, no, I would say Canadian. We are constantly aware 
that we do not have the heritage, the spectacular heritage that we share with Europe, but it is not our heritage. It's something that is being created there. I think Canadians work harder. I think they are always certain that there's more to be gleaned. There's mm -hmm. more to achieve. And it doesn't matter how much you achieve, you are certain that there's someone who's doing more than what you are. I encounter that everywhere. You know, Jeanette and I talked for three years at the Centre for Baroque Studies in Versailles. And people there were flabbergasted by us. They called us steamrollers. <laughs> they, they couldn't believe that how short a lunch we wanted. They couldn't believe how short a dinner we wanted. They couldn't believe the amount of rehearsal we insisted on. It was, um, I think it's, it's always a shock when we're working in Europe for our counterparts to see what our work ethic is, how hard we work, and uh, I shouldn't even say just how hard we work, the joy we have in rehearsal. I mean, I love rehearsing. I'm not looking at the clock. And I'm not surrounded by people who are looking at the clock. If they're looking at the clock, they know they're with the wrong company. Mm -hmm. Because I am maximizing everyone's rehearsal time that is allowed within union regulations. People know that. Our dancers and singers joke and they call it spa atelier. Because you come <laughs> in and if you weren't in shape before, you're in shape at the end. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I take... I had a very interesting experience once. We were at Houston Grand Opera, an extraordinary young man who was singing uh, one of the lead roles in Monteverdi, and he had won uh, an important competition. And very, very bright, very musical, picked up his staging quickly. And I remember we had completed a very complex scene in this particular opera. And then I called rehearsals the next day for that scene. Mm -hmm. And it, it very, very politely, he said, could I just ask, is there something in this scene that you're not happy with? I said, no, I think it's, it's going extremely well. He said, well, we, we, we know our music. The blocking is in place. Why are we doing this again? And you know, I thought, you know, it's a great question. It's a great question because it has every, it says everything about why are we rehearsing? What is rehearsal about? Mm -hmm. Rehearsal is about discovery. The, the art is about process. The moment you have your blocking in place, you've learned your music, the ornaments are in place, all of that's in place. From our point of view, now you can start working. Now the work begins. All of that is preliminary. And if you don't feel that that's preliminary, if you think it's finished then, I have no problem with that. But I'm not the person for you to work with. Opera Telly is not the company for you to work with. We are about discovery, discovering things about ourselves, discovery about text, realizing that going into rehearsal and rehearsing intelligently again and again and again. So people aren't just waiting for their downbeat. People are listening to what someone has said to them. They're listening and they're answering, as David Mamet would say. Mm -hmm. You have to hear in order to answer. You have to know what the scene is. And uh, so... People know they're going to rehearse four weeks, five weeks with us if they're going to come and rehearse. And uh, I can honestly say we have a really wonderful, wonderful time. And that's also what makes it world-class. Right? Yeah. It's, it's what it takes. So. Well, next season, 
just in brief, um, what would you say it's going to look like? Are you going to be streaming? How can people watch it? Keep in touch. I believe it's going to be a combination. And of course, we're, we're all waiting on tenterhooks to see what sort of announcements are made. Uh, we are creating an opera that is made for film. So if we are able to have people in the theater, we may actually have the premiere in a movie theater. So I love the idea of having a screening in the theater and possibly even opening with some live performances, uh, some dancing, some singing, and then having the screening itself. We'll have to see what is possible. I take for granted that after that, mm -hmm. life will have returned to normal. I think people are going to be dying to get back to the theater. I know they are because I talk to our patrons. We talk to the people who support us. They can't wait to come back. I don't think there's going to be a hesitancy. I think we're going to find that people are streaming back to the theaters, that they're dying to experience live theater again. So I feel very, um, I feel very confident, very confident about that. But again, we have to be ready to roll with the punches, whatever happens. Jeanette and I are in France this fall. We are directing for um, the Royal Opera House, just Jeanette and myself. And uh, we're actually reprising an opera that we did there, a great three opera for the Royal Opera House, I guess about a year and a half ago. And they've asked us to come back and set it again. So Fantastic. we'll actually be in France, which is opening up in a live performance with, you know, a, a full house in the Royal Opera House. So we'll already be getting our, our feet wet and we'll be, we'll be ready to go. <laughs> That's amazing. So with Handel's Resurrection, which is the next event, uh, how can people view it and where can they get tickets? Uh, you know, you, you can just go to operatelier.com and you are able to purchase tickets. It's $25 for a ticket across the board. And uh, it's about an hour and a half long. It's a thrilling experience. I promise it will be unlike anything that people have seen. Uh, it is, uh, it, it is like, it's like a dream. It makes me think of a Cocteau film. It really is like a dreamscape. And I really encourage people to experience this. We have an amazing cast with Colin Ainsworth, one of our great tenors, singing the role of St. John. And Alison McCarty, you know, that voice is one in a million singing Cleophas, a really spectacular role for her. And Megan Lindsay, who is our, our Mary Magdalene, a wonderful, wonderful role for her. Douglas Williams, who was our Don Giovanni, he was our Figaro, this uh, extraordinary young man singing the role of Lucifer. And oh. he is made for this role because what's the sense of having Lucifer if you don't have someone who is seductive and attractive? We have to be attracted to him so we understand what is this pride, this pride that drives him and destroys him? He's an amazing, amazing young man for this role in particular. Mm -hmm. And uh, and of course, we have our artists of Atelier Ballet, Tafo Music. It's, uh, it's a very, very rich performance. And then we're encouraging people to join us on the 27th for its premiere. But you are going to be able to purchase tickets after that and see it for some time after that as well. But we'd want as many people experiencing this with us on the 27th as possible. May 27th is the premiere, and that website again for listeners is operatelier.com. Twitter and Instagram handles are at operatelier. I'll post all those links and a direct link to ticket sales on the podcast website, canadasmusicalmosaic.com. Fantastic. 
Thanks to you and your team. I wish you all the best with the ongoing productions and with next season. Congratulations to you and Jeanette also on the Order of Canada appointment. Thank you so much. And thank you for this. Really, this is, we've always said, Opera Italia, when people look at our advertising budget and they look at the budget for our shows, we're invariably told it's suicide. Our <laughs> advertising budget should have another digit. But we've had to make a decision. It either goes into the show or it goes into advertising. We rely on word of mouth. We rely on people like you who are interested genuinely interested in music and theater and want to share this with people this is invaluable so please and please i want you to attend as our guest and oh. we'll get we'll get in touch with you to make certain that you have a link well thank you i look forward to it real pleasure this is Rhea Beaumont for Canada's Musical Mosaic with Marshall Pinkowski of Opera Atelier please visit those websites for more information and tickets thanks again for listening until next time Rhea thank you so much you also, and stay well.